Listening to This Week in Accountable Care on the Blog Talk Radio and Affiliate Networks, sponsored by National ACO, one of 44 participants admitted to the group of next generation ACO models as judged by the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Innovation. And welcome everyone, I'm Greg Masters, the producer and moderator of this series, known to some on Twitter as Two Health Guru and the publisher of ACOWatch.com. I'm joined in the virtual studio with national ACO co-founders and best of colleagues, Dr. Andre Berger and Dr. Alex Foxman, as we launch our bi-weekly series, This Week in Accountable Care. For those of you interested in the next generation ACO model, as well as the accountable care or value-based or outcomes-oriented industry writ large. This series is designed to educate and inform you by engaging best-in-class operators, thought leaders, and innovators. National ACO is experiencing strong growth, was nation-leading in its very first performance year, and has logged five years of successful operations since. The company is leading innovation in value-based and alternative payment model delivery while promoting the independent practice of medicine. Now let me preview the bios of the series co-hosts. Dr. Andre Berger is the Chief Executive Officer of National ACO, a primary care physician-owned and governed next-generation ACO model located in Beverly Hills, California, with contracted primary care physician practices and attributed Medicare beneficiaries in multiple states. A natural leader, Dr. Berger is a renowned physician who's been practicing in Beverly Hills and Los Angeles, California since 1978. Dr. Berger, a prolific writer and researcher, brings a comprehensive knowledge of managed care plans and an inherent desire to enable patient-centered care and fulfill the promise of of the triple aim. Dr. Alex Foxman is a board-certified physician, president and chief medical officer of National ACO. Dr. Foxman has been practicing internal medicine and preventive care since 2003. Over the span of 14 years, Dr. Foxman has started several successful and innovative medical practice models, including Mobile Physician Associates, a complete mobile group medical practice serving the needs of the homebound, frail elderly, and disabled populations, of Southern California. This practice model has shown a significant improvement in quality of patient care with double-digit reductions in overall medical costs. And with that introduction, gentlemen, let's get started. Welcome to the broadcast. Thank you. Thank you very much, Greg. It's great to be on. As your humble moderator today, I'm delighted we're launching this series into ACOs, best practices, and lessons learned as, as we cycle through, selectively cycle through the next generation ACO cohort. Dr. Berger, since you are the tenured partner in this co-venture with your colleague, Dr. Foxman, let's start with you. Tell us a little bit about yourself. What, what drew you to medicine? Well, I think uh, unlike some that might have been, uh, you know, felt a calling since uh, birth. That wasn't my other case uh, for me. Uh, but uh, basically for me, it came down to uh, just deciding what um, field, professional field, 
that would best suit my strengths. Um, and I think medicine was the field that best suited my strengths. Um, you know, and not going through what I think those strengths might be. That was that was the reason that I I decided to go into medicine. And um, so I've been in practice in in California since 1978, actually. Um, but I I did uh, move to California from from Canada from Montreal. And did all my training up in Canada, including um, medical school and residency and fellowship. And then after uh, completing a, a year of um, working as director of a small teaching, McGill University teaching hospital, I, um, I moved down to beautiful, sunny California. And I'm still here. Um, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I love every moment. Love sunshine. So... Yeah, and uh, so I think I think for me it was more a pragmatic decision that I grew to love rather than a love, uh, you know, that I you know had to, you know, kind of I um, uh, make real. So I, I, that, that's my experience, and I can tell you that uh, the the love for for the practice of medicine to me is a real thing. It's not a job to me. It's just a you know it's something I love doing. Can't wait, wait to get up every day. And um, and deal with um, you know my daily routine, but I tell you one thing that has changed dramatically since I first started in practice. So when I first started in practice, what I learned was how to treat uh, you know one patient at a time. You know the the one that that I saw that came to me that I had to take the history and the physical and maybe do some testing on and then. You know, get a differential diagnosis after getting some uh, tests back and putting it all together, and then I could form a treatment plan. You know, just like we all do. But then, you know, over the years and and recently, that's all changed. And now I have the great fortune of having a second patient. Uh, so I still love the first patient experience, but now the second patient is is completely different. And I think. In terms of what we're going to talk about in value-based care, I mean, I think that's the key to understanding what that second patient is and what you have to do for that second patient to make them just as well as you can with uh, uh, treating the, the patient you're trained to do. And the second patient is, is, is the population that, that I serve, whether it's been the population of the practice that I have or the population of the ACO um, that I I'm the CEO of because I have to really treat that that second patient with the same degree of care. Uh, I have to take a good history of that population. I have to examine that population very carefully. I have to really understand all of the, shall we say, diagnostic inputs related to that population using all the tools that are available to me, the information technology and the data about these patients. I can use predictive modeling on these patients, but at the end of the day, I then can really understand and analyze and do the same thing I would do with the first patient, that is develop a treatment plan and a, and a way of changing uh, things for the better for that second patient. So to me, that's the, been the biggest metamorphosis, the biggest change in the way I look at the practice of medicine. And it's what I try and really bring 
to all those that want to be successful in the value-based world, and that is you've got to really treat the second patient, and you've got to treat that patient really well. That's a very interesting concept about the second patient. So, Dr. Foxman, uh, same question to you. What, what drew you to medicine, and uh, why did you opt for primary care? Well, Greg, uh, I'm going to have to say probably uh, nagging Jewish parents, but it's actually a little more than that. Uh, uh, you know, I really love uh, science. I was intrigued by, and am still intrigued by science. Uh, I also uh, love to solve problems, and I, I love uh, people, human beings. And I thought the combination of these things was, was uh, a career in medicine is probably the way to go. Uh, I always wanted to also practice at the top of my field and, and really try to do as much as I can, not only for my practice, but, but for those around me. And that's what really gravitated me towards uh, expanding what I'm, what I'm doing and, and not only helping uh, my, my personal practice better healthcare in the United States, but also help and encourage physicians, not only in, in Los Angeles, but throughout the United States, really make that transformation from volume-based care to value-based care. So that's very important to me, and I'm very excited about that opportunity. Um, I always love primary care as well. Uh, I had many opportunities to subspecialize, but I've always liked to know a lot about a lot of different things, and I think primary care really gave me the opportunity to, to do that. Uh, I've expanded my, my practices to uh, providing very unique types of business models, including a mobile medical practice uh, that provides uh, the frail elderly and disabled population, mobile medical visits from physicians and physician uh, extenders, such as uh, physician assistants and nurse practitioners, uh, also have been uh, in development of a, a, a what we call an Uber for doctors, an opportunity for physicians who have some free time or want to do this for more of a full time to help manage patients who cannot get to their doctor, because as we know, about 20 to 30 percent of our, our beneficiaries or patients make up about 80% of the cost, 70 80% of the cost nationally. So it's a staggering number. And these particular patients need more care than anyone else for us to be able to achieve our goals in the change again to, uh, to uh, value-based care. So, so those are the primary reasons of why I gravitated to, to not only medicine, but primary care in general. So uh, I happen to know that uh, the two of you uh, have located your clinical practices in the same building on the same floor, just several doors away from each. So let's talk a little bit about the genesis of National ACO. How did the two of you, how did your paths cross and how did National ACO come up as a venture you, the two of you decided to get behind? It? Well, I, um, I moved into uh, the building Dr. Foxman and I. Uh, practicing in, um, but just a few months after he did, this is a this is going back about eleven over eleven years ago, and um, you know we, uh, we became friendly. We were right across the hall from each other, so we became friendly and immediately knew that I liked Dr. Foxman. I got to know him, and uh, you know some time went on, and then uh, two thousand you know eleven, um, you know came along the Affordable Care Act, and then. In 2012, um, after kind of going through the section on innovation, um, you know, uh, I, I have uh, thought about the idea of, um, of applying it for the Medicare Shared Savings Program. Uh, and so I went to talk to Dr. Foxman, who had already been, um, you know, uh, shall we say, um, 
uh, groomed or if you will pursued by one of our local hospitals uh, to you know take some leadership in uh, in the future of value-based care and I talked to him about this and said look um, let's get together and let's do this and um, and he was agreeable and uh, you know, of course I'm very glad he agrees because uh, you know I, I I think if I would have written a script if I could have written a script about who would be the ideal you know partner person to have to work with on this um, you know uh, the, the the reality would it's really better than any great script I could have written because he's been just an amazing uh, partner he's smart and he's uh, very very hard-working very forward-thinking so I was very fortunate and uh, we just combined efforts um, you know as, as you learn as I learned my mom taught me you got to make your you know strengths productive and your weaknesses irrelevant dr. Foxman um, he really uh, was um, very helpful and and really um, was very important for in terms of the recruiting efforts at the beginning and um, and I focused a lot on just working on developing a lot of the policy and procedural aspects for our application and developing some of the other aspects so we made a really good natural team and uh, it really worked out well and uh, and as we you know over the years and now we've, this is our, our fifth year as we have been working together it's just blossomed into just an incredible um, you know synergy um, it's, it's a little scary sometimes because you know I, I, it's almost like we can read each other's thoughts and I have to be careful of what I'm thinking with Dr. Parson <laughs> reading so well but in any case but it's worked out really well and and um, and we try and you know divide and conquer we do serve as you know the executive management role for the company we do try and drive it um, we are very forward-thinking and we've created a physician governed physician-owned physician-driven organization that we're, we're like the David in the fight we're not the Goliath but that gives us some advantages we have a very accurate little slingshot here we use and, and we can make quick decisions we're very forward-thinking and um, I think that's really served us well to date. So we've been able to take our vision of what uh, is needed to be successful in the in transition, transformation, if you will, from volume to value and, and move that forward. And we hope to continue that and, and scale it up as we continue to grow. So um, basically, Dr. Foxman, uh, you know, is somebody if I had, could have wished for somebody, it would have been him, and I was very fortunate because I got him. So, and I'm not letting him go, by the way. So, if anybody wants him out there, just forget about it. <laughs> so, I, I just want to add, and thank you, Andre. That's that's really nice. I just want to add that you know I think the reason why why this really worked was that we were laser focused on our goal and and the amazing opportunity that we received from a CMS to to. Uh, get in and become an MSSP initially. I mean, if you really think about it, two physicians practicing, two small-time physicians were provided the opportunity to work very hard and grow an organization that could potentially be one of the potential changers of, of healthcare in the United States. And, and that, uh, along with us being a very non-egotistical, we have you know, no ego, we work very well together, and we, we, we concentrate uh, like a laser on our goals, I think make make this a relationship extremely, extremely 
uh, powerful. Not to mention that Dr. Dr. Berger is also just a great guy in general. <laughs> I can attest right, to pay, that. I'll, so I'll, I'll pay you later. You're an interesting combination um, between the two of you in terms of the, the collaborative style and the stewardship of the company. Um, uh, Dr. Berger, you have deep roots in managed healthcare movement going back to risk contract in the late, 80, late 70s to early 80s. And uh, Dr. Foxman, you're kind of an innovator in terms of the M Health and the digital health space through this mobile app that, that you've developed. So everyone talks innovation and disruption you can't go anywhere without hearing that and the two of you come at innovation from uh, from an interesting perspective covering essentially both sides of that spectrum from service delivery and finance to apps and platforms greg i'm not sure if that was a question but it was a great comment and i think you're you're very accurate because i feel the synergy with dr foxman um you know i mean i have had uh, some unique experience um I don't, you know, unfortunately, it means I have to date myself. But, you know, the fact of the matter is, um, I, I was uh, fortunate enough to kind of get a lot of early experience uh, during the, I guess, the birth of uh, the managed care industry, the initial, uh, you know, uh, risk contracting experience. And so, um, you know, and, and so that, that's quite a few years ago. Uh, things have changed, but, you know, there's a lot that hasn't changed, although some things have. So this is this has been very important to me, and I think it's one of the reasons that I got excited about getting into the MSSP with, with, with Alex, because Alex, as you pointed out very astutely, he does bring in some other things that I think are very important. First of all, he's got a, um, you know, a, a very good technology-focused um, analytic kind of part, but he, he knows how to translate. What I love about it is he knows how to translate that into the realities of, you know, of human uh, behavior. So I think that's the beautiful thing and especially important when you talk about transformation of physician behavior because the technology is is wonderful and important, but it, it's not it's not the only thing you need to transform. It's a tool, and like if you had a carpenter and he wants to build a beautiful cabinet, you know, if all he has is a hammer, that cabinet's not going to look that great. Obviously, if he has all the tools and they're working really well, the most important thing is the the hands and the brain of the carpenter. So it's like that in in, in the business we're in. Uh, yes, technology is very important, and we like to choose the best tools if we can and find them, if they're affordable. But what is actually probably even more important is the behavior of those that are using the tools, especially the transformation of the physicians. Um, and that's the part we really stressed. And Dr. Foxman has done an outstanding job and continues to do that every day on leading that transformative kind of behavior. And, and I think that the combination that he's uh, lent to that is, is, is really served us well and will continue. I think also disruption is very important to discuss in, in the healthcare space. I think that we've all realized that what has been done in the past just has not worked. And by repeating the same steps over and over again, historical steps, is not going to lead us, in my opinion, to a improvement in the future of our healthcare system. And that's why we together in National ACO have taken great steps to really understand what we could do, what kind of changes, innovative changes we could put in place to really disrupt what healthcare is all about for the better, to understand 
how a physician thinks, what a physician understands about the healthcare system, what do they know about the medical economics of all of the things that go around them uh, in, in the healthcare system, and also how the patient thinks and how the patient could be aligned and, and the physician to achieve that triple aim of improving quality of care, improving patient satisfaction, and ultimately reducing the costs of, of healthcare. So let, let's use that occasion to maybe open the hood and let's talk about what's underneath in terms of a, a national ACO. You're doing well. You're five years in. You're producing year-over-year results. And you're now in this uh, elite group of next-generation ACOs. Is this uh, – how'd you get there? And why are you excited about the next-gen ACO model? Well, I think we got there um, because of our uh, uh, progressive um, but yet focused – adherence to our initial plan Um, and so this is not just something that you know we decided to do on the day that we applied this was something that we were trying to prepare for from from day one because uh, I think when we uh, first uh, got into um, this uh, space we you know at least I and Dr. Fox we realized that the future um, and for many reasons and the way the market was going to move was going to be towards the idea of, you know, responsibility uh, for the economics, the quality of care. And that, that would mean, you know, some, um, you know, significant ramping up and moving up the risk ladder for not just the few that embraced it early, but for the majority of, of providers that are servicing the Medicare population. So, so understanding this, it was just a very natural thing for us to try and get there. And the way we got there was, you know, we tried, we were successful in our first several years. We gained some experience. We put together, you know, I think all the various components. And we, you know, it was not easy because you got to remember, you know, we are completely differentiated from just about actually from anyone else in the cohort, in the 44, because we're not an integrated delivery system. We're not a physician hospital organization, and uh, we don't have a very deep pocket in a management company that's somewhat, you know, controlling us at this point. We're just, uh, you know, a bunch of doctors who are on a mission to, you know, do what Dr. Foxman said, and that is uh, transform, disrupt, and create innovation to improve the delivery of healthcare and, and help our physicians that join us not just survive, but to thrive as uh, we go through this transformation. So I think that's the key point. What we try to do in terms of getting to this point is just kind of go step by step in a, in a somewhat of a you know semi-calculated way, but nonetheless with a plan and following that plan, and we continue in that trajectory. Next Gen ACO is really important because not at the point yet where we're able to get to the same level of risk and take all that premium responsibility if we would be a Medicare Advantage plan. But we're certainly moving in that direction because of the physicians that we are bringing into this, many of them, a large number of them, they do need some training wheels. They do need to kind of learn how to be successful in this environment and to make this transformation. So part of what we're doing is we're giving them everything they really need if they have the commitment to go in that direction to be successful so they can move from volume to value 
and they can move up the, the risk ladder with us. And at the end of the day, when we you know, graduate to, let's say, the full uh, level of, of risk bearing that I think eventually we, we want to get there successfully, we will be able to do that and, and, and also influence the way healthcare is delivered by helping innovate in order to, for us all to be able to do this successfully. I, I also want to state that, you know, I think that the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Innovation and CMS really got it right this time in regards to how to deploy a, a, a opportunity, a program that's really going to make positive, effective change. I personally believe that there's no one better than a physician, especially a primary care physician, to really lead the way in comprehensive uh, change and revolution within the healthcare system. And by providing a program such as the Next Generation ACL model, where we have benefit enhancements, relaxed restrictions, and an alignment, financial alignment with, with our healthcare providers, this really provides the perfect opportunity to really make some substantial changes, not only in how we care for patients and the quality of care we provide, but really make some significant changes in reducing costs. Well, I just want to add, you know, as far, as far as the next-gen model, I don't know how much time we have for me to make a few points because I didn't fully answer your question. Do I have time to make a few points there or not? Yeah, we're, we're about three minutes out, so. Okay, well, well, really the thing about the next-gen model is that it, it kind of uh, it steps up in terms of the, the overall advantage to the participating provider. Um, one, because we're a qualified alternative payment model, uh, it does really allow them to take the full advantage of the macro bonus and avoid the MIPS penalties. Um, and that's a big deal today for, for primary care physicians and others. The second thing is the program enhancements, including telehealth, including the SNF three-day waiver, and including the mobile physician visit waivers are very, very important in helping us achieve the triple aims and do drive revenue uh, to our providers while they're reducing the overall cost of care. And then, of course, the fact that we, if we perform because we are taking on risk, we can uh, get a higher percentage of the savings as compared to MSSP is a very, very huge plus. So all of these factors really are very important along with this new uh, opportunity that we have uh, in terms of population-based payments, which I think that could be a, a subject of a whole program, um, is very, very, very attractive and does increase, I would say, the, the upside and uh, does the most important thing that the MSSP could not do. And it helps us all focus on alignment, which I believe is the most important thing we're going to do to uh, make our healthcare better. That is align everyone, the providers, the, uh, all, the doc, all the people that are contributing to care of the patients as well as the patients themselves. And alignment is the key word. And I think the next gen model really is a great step in, in terms of helping us generate alignment in the marketplace. That's well said, and, and we are going to learn much more about this in the biweekly series here on This Week in Accountable Care. We will cycle through a number of the um, participants in the next-gen cohort and learn what they're experiencing, some of their obstacles, headwinds, and opportunities, including best practices that they're evolving. 
So um, one other thing is that this is uh, very attractive from the point of view of the independent practice of medicine. It gives docs an opportunity to participate in a way that's perhaps uh, more meaningful in their lives, the quality of their lives and their, the quality of their income streams. And that will have to be the last word for today's broadcast. I want to thank our guests, Dr. Andre Berger and Alex Foxman, for their time today. And do follow National ACO on Twitter via at N-A-C-O-M-S-O and on the web via www.nacomso.com. We intend to produce this broadcast on a bi-weekly basis, generally scheduled for Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern. Until we meet again on This Week in Accountable Care for Drs. Berger and Foxman, this is your moderator, Greg Masters, saying bye now. With that, I want to thank my guests, uh, Dr. Alex Ber- um, Andre Berger and Alex Foxman, co-founders of National ACO, for their insights today. Do follow National ACO on Twitter via at N-A-C-O-M-S-O and on the web via www.nacomso.com. Until we meet again on This Week in Accountable Care for Drs. Berger and, Fo- uh, Berger and Foxman, this is your co-host Greg Masters saying bye now. Bye-bye. Thank you.